welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society Podcast, hosted by Marco Cipelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now, to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marco Cipelli, Redefining Society podcast on ITSP Magazine. Uh, you're probably uh, recognize my voice. I hope so. It means you've been listening. And uh, this is an exciting day because uh, I have started a few series lately because I know a lot of really cool people and I want them all to have their podcast, but they're too busy for that. So I found out that the best thing to have them as co-hosts or recurring guests is to organize a series where once a month, we get together and uh, it's working nicely. So this is a new one and I have decided to call it One Connected World, inspired by the song. It's a small world after all. And, uh, and, and there is a reason and you, you'll understand why. So for those that are viewing us on, uh, on the video on YouTube, uh, Dr. Deborah Thompson is here. Hello, Deborah. And Alison and Maurice, which you have already heard all of them before on uh, on my show in different occasion talking about what they do but yes they are the one coming back with me every month and we're going to talk about this one connected world the reason is because of course Alison and Maurice they have the high alert institute that they tell us what is about and Deborah Thompson is the one health lesson so if you can notice is everything is connected that everything in this world, it's not just on its own. We're not in silos, we're all together. And sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, and we try to avoid the bad part. I think that's that's the idea here. <laughs> so I'm gonna start with uh, Deborah, a little introduction about yourself and uh, one health lesson, and uh, then we'll pass it to Alison and Maurice. Thanks so much, Marco, for the invitation to be here again. Um, you will probably put down in the what 
the link to this particular uh, podcast, the conversations that we have had in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, so I welcome all visitors and listeners today to reference those. Um, But my brief background is I am a veterinarian. Before being a veterinarian, I was teaching. And right now, I still am a veterinarian working in clinics. I also work in policy um, that has has to do with, of course, animal health and welfare, but also public health and global health. But then I started this educational nonprofit called One Health Lessons. And there we teach children and adults around the world to uh, understand about that connection between our health and the health of the environment, animals, and plants. We do that so that people can start to see the world in a different way, see that how we treat the environment plays a role in our own health and our parents' health and our children's health and on and on. And we want to work together with people of different backgrounds, disciplines, and strengths to solve some mighty health challenges. That's about me and One Health Lessons. Back to you, Marco. Very nice. Very nice. Very concise. And uh, you, you made the point that we're all connected. And that's what I'm going to repeat probably a million times during this episode. Um, Alison, how about you? Who is Alison? Thanks for so much for having us, Marco. Um, Any listeners who have uh, heard prior conversations with us about the High Alert Institute have heard quite a bit about the thing where we began and where we are now. But in brief, We are a 501c3 not-for-profit. We got our start shortly after 9-11 as a source of education and training for disaster response and disaster responders. From that has grown into more of this encompassing the one health, one nature paradigm, not just disasters in the traditional list that you might have as a first responder, but as all hazards, all hazards to ourselves, all hazards to our animals, plants, and our planet. And the Institute has grown, became a 501c3 in 2011, and we now have many divisions, each of them focusing on a different way of looking at One Health, One Nature, and trying to come up with real life guidances, solutions, uh, education for policymakers, etc. Et so that brings us here to you. And again, a lot of one, right? One, one, one. Maurice. Thank you, Marco. Uh, and Deborah, it's great to see you again. And thank you so much, Allison, for taking away from your insane schedule to join us as well. I, like Deborah and Allison, I'm also a healthcare provider. Allison's a nurse practitioner. I'm an emergency room and disaster medicine physician uh, and an and AI healthcare uh, physician as well. Been involved in emergency medicine and disaster medicine over 30 years. We came to this education looking to improve human healthcare and its response, as Allison said, to disaster. And over time, we learned, well, now we have to take care of the mental health and the impacts in the community. And we fa- and of course, with Allison being a, a therapy dog trainer going back into the 80s uh, with, with cancer kids, you know, we said, well, we have to take in animals to help with the com- behavioral health. Well, now you have to take care of the animals. Began working with our veterinary colleagues and realizing that a lot of the disaster preparedness that we had brought to healthcare hadn't been brought to them. 
the disaster behavioral health aspects had not been brought to their professions uh, as well as the, as they could have been in a consolidated fashion from government. Yeah, we, in healthcare, human healthcare, we were lucky, $9 billion spent on training us. Uh, and then you look at what animal healthcare professionals got over twice the length of time, and it was less than a billion. And that, and that that's a disparity that directly impacts us in human healthcare. It directly impacts all people, all animals, and unfortunately, all environments. So we're thrilled to be here with you to raise some awareness about One Health lessons, about the connectedness of the world, about all hazards, One Health, One Nature as a framework for thinking, for planning, and yes, for innovation. Wonderful. And, and if it wasn't enough, all this connection that brings me, bring me to think, isn't this common sense that everything is connected, but apparently not that common. And I, I, will, I would like, as we have this many conversations in the future, we, we pick some specific topics, maybe we will have some guests uh, joining us and organize panels. Um, I will always bring in that technology that, again, is now connecting us in every single way. We see it during the, the pandemic. We've seen like uh, we realize that we depend on uh, other markets where the economy is connected, uh, the, the, the government needs to be connected, regulation, AI, the Internet connect all us. So we'll talk about the technology. We'll talk about the health. We'll talk about the environment and, uh, and everything else that honestly is just one connected world. So I would like to maybe start thinking about some case scenario, uh, Deborah, uh, with you, where it's so evident that not only things are connected, but that we need to do something about it to have the best outcome out of this connection. Because being connected is a good thing. Right. Being connected is a good thing. It has a strengths and weaknesses. It can make um, us being so connected can also make us, um, us humans vulnerable too. you know, if, if the environment around us is degrading, well, then how, how are we going to be able to stay protected? Well, we can't just stay protected ourselves. We have to make sure that we are living in an environment that is healthy. Um, keep in mind within that environment, there are animals and we have to make sure that we are keeping our distance, uh, our appropriate distance, um, in order for, uh, the animals to stay as healthy as possible and not to transmit germs back and forth between people and animals. It's as simple as that. Take, for instance, something that everybody can relate to, litter. Something very simple like litter. You can think, okay, well, I don't want to litter because it could uh, stay in the environment for a very long time. Fine. I don't want to litter because microplastics can get into the water system. Fine. These are all very good reasons. But what if... Litter can also attract animals to your community. And what if you have germs that can transmit to animals or animals can have germs that can transmit to you and not necessarily germs innately in them. How about on the fleas that are on them? Because stray animals can't help, but sometimes have fleas. You know, these types of practical, realistic things that everybody can relate to, but they just don't think about. 
So there are many reasons why you don't want to litter <laughs> beyond just, you know, contaminating the waterways and, and destroying the, the soil and things like that. It's a new way to look at the world in order to protect well-being and health of everything around you and beyond. And, and to Deborah's point, sometimes it's even the things that we think we're doing well, things we do to protect ourselves that end up because we don't consider the environment, we don't consider the other impacts and the connectedness that end up actually hurting us in the long run. A great example was seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. We all remember seeing on the news in April of 2020, the sudden rise in deaths of people of color living in public housing. And suddenly it was, they were dying in the ICU at one and a half times, then two times, then four, then ultimately eight times the rate of their matched people, same ICU, living in single family homes. And everyone was looking at, well, this must be health disparity. This must be digital disparity. The fact that they, we could, they couldn't get information on the internet effectively. It must be prejudice in some way. And when it was finally drilled down, when it was investigated, it turned out that it was because we had tried to prevent airborne transmission of COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, in public housing buildings. There was a concern in all large buildings that because it was discovered that COVID-19 could live for 96 hours on the metal in air conditioning systems, that it would accumulate and blow around and more people would get infected. And in fact, in large high rises, they did. So the recommendation was open the, the ventilators. All high rise buildings take in fresh air like people do and they breathe. Open the ventilators 24 seven. Sounded great, right? Problem. The other part of public housing is public transportation, which means you have a bus idling outside the building two minutes every 15 to 20 minutes. Suddenly, the indoor air quality was actually worse than the outdoor air quality. Diesel fuel is full of very small particles of carbon that collect in your lungs and turned all of those thick secretions we all remember hearing about with COVID-19 into almost a concrete and people literally drowned in a combination of mucus and a diesel exhaust. And at autopsy, finally in August, by the time we got autopsy results on these people, we learned that these folks from inner city housing, mass, you know, large housing, public housing, were dying not because of some genetic difference between them and everybody else, not because they had a different strain of COVID-19, but simply because we had tried to prevent them from getting COVID-19 by giving them supposedly fresh air that turned out not to be fresh air. Environment, it was all connected. They shut those dampers down in August and the death rate dropped back to the baseline by, September, by the end of September that quickly. I think it's really remarkable that our challenges today in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023 are not nearly the same as they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago. We are playing with so many new variables, right? <laughs> think about the exhaust of the bus every what, 15 minutes or so. That wasn't really a thing 150 years ago, right? <laughs> so it, it, begs the question, who are the players that need to be involved in creating these policies? Who needs to have a voice at the table? Who needs to be heard, listened to, 
because conversations need to be had. Our, the amount of variables right now and the health challenges, it's not like any other time on the planet from what I have seen. It has been uh, quite complicated with each passing year. Very true. Very true. And, and, and I was actually going the same place, and I don't know that I'm going to pass back the ball to Allison and, and, and Maurice, on, on the idea of complexity. Right. I, I was actually having a podcast and I, I think I will invite it to one of our conversation, a, a futurist that study uh, these, uh, these global uh, systemic security issues like at every every level. And uh, his name is Trond and um, he, he developed a game called End of the World 2075. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I, we, may, we were joking. I'm like, this remind me. Uh, war game if you're a kid from the 80s and uh, let's play a game of thermonuclear <laughs> war and I'm like let's can we be optimistic on this and he said no this is actually you know it, it's a way to make people think about it and eventually act on it so I guess I'm making this point by saying that our goal is not to be the downers here our goal is to be the one that actually will try to raise this conversation and maybe help to drive it to, as Deborah said, the people that really can do something about it. So um, Alison and Maurice, uh, your, your thought on, on who is doing something and who can do something about it. Um, from a standpoint of we're picking up where Deborah left off, all of these things that have been around just a shorter time frame than, than they were 150 years ago. And how do we bring that in, that change, that 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 viewpoint into into the now? We have worldwide governments and policymakers who are starting, who many already have implemented, and others are starting to have personnel within their institution, within their organization, within their agencies, someone who is accountable for being a one health, one nature type person, different names for different offices, but trying to bring those exact same thought processes, those exact same appreciations of an interconnected world so that we're not thinking in a linear fashion that is more, think spider web instead, everything being interconnected and that the vibration out in one, one outer ring of that web is actually felt by every single other one coming towards the center and trying to trying tying all of those offices into ones that also encompass sustainability that encompass diversity that encompass inclusion are are also key because i think those are things that have become more appreciated in the current uh, era than they have in in past eras Unlike the pollution parts of the buses, which didn't even exist, diversity has always existed, but it has not come to the forefront of what needs to be incorporated into something we all are referring now to as one health, one one world, one nature. But yeah, you know, and Maurice, can I just say something? Probably you sure. can, you can jump on this. It's like talking about historically, it really opened in an, an entire level of conversation because we could justify. 300 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 uh, years ago of not knowing, 
and say, well, I don't even know, you know, I thought I was going to discover India, I, I discover America. I didn't even know what was on the other side, right? Okay, cool. You didn't know, you didn't know. Now we know. Now from a technological communication perspective, we are all literally connected. So no more excuses. <laughs> Sorry, Maurice, I wanted to make No, this you're exactly correct that, that, to Deborah's point and to, and to your point. Right now, at a sensor IoT level, you love technology, Marco, I know that. So real hard data measured on people, measured in the environment, measured on animals, measured in the ocean, in the air, by satellite, all kinds of, all kinds of data in the public domain available for analysis, including health impacts data, genomics data, social, sociological data that's numerical and can be analyzed. There are 256 petabytes of data that only, and that's only going back 15 years. There's data, more spotty data, regionalized and, and time specific, going back almost 90 years that has been digitalized that takes the number much higher than a yottabyte. If, by the way, if you're, if you're in the audience, you don't remember. Everybody knows a terabyte. Okay, next to a terabyte is, a, I'm sorry, I said petabyte, is a petabyte. I meant 256 exabytes. That's a million terabytes. So 256 million terabytes of data right now across only 12 domains, 12 areas of data that could be correlated to each other to give us information that people like Deborah, who work all the time in policy, could then take to government and say, here's the proof or virtually proof that if you spend, and this is real data, if you spend a dollar in an inner city community getting a patient, a, a pregnant woman who is disadvantaged financially to every one of her prenatal care visits, you save $10 a month, or excuse me, $10 a year for the first two years on the health of that child that's born. Plus you drop the infant, the infant uh, complication rate by half and the, and the pregnancy complication rate by half, which saves even more money. Now that's smart spending, but the other thing it does is it frees more money for human healthcare. We don't even know what, it, what happens if you spend a dollar on preserving, as far as health impacts, on preserving an animal species or preventing, for instance, last year during COVID, very few people know this, the veterinary community did a great job of preventing screwworm from entering the United States. Screwworm, if you're, never, if you're not an ER doctor, you don't appreciate how horrible a disease this is. It's not fatal, but it is painful worse than shingles for people, and it's infectious. And they totally prevented it in dollars. They literally saved the entire country from having that on top of COVID, and the tridemic. So yeah. when you spend a little money, very targeted, very smartly, you can not only save money, you can save lives, animal lives, human lives, you can preserve the environment and make everything just a little bit better and make everything just a little more equal, more inclusive. But you have to do exactly what you were saying, Mark. You got to take the information. You have to find it. You have to know it. You have to analyze it. 
about the screw worms, uh, screw worms are uh, on the boards <laughs> for veterinarians. So by the time you graduate from vet school, you need to know about that so that you can monitor your patients closely and make sure that uh, you, you're on the lookout for any reportable disease, including that. So that's a public health concern as well, and definitely an economic concern for many other conditions. So um, yeah, that's a shout out to my other, my fellow veterinarians out there who might be listening. Hello out there. Um, but my, pre my previous comment was about, you know, hundred years ago, 150 years ago. I'm now thinking after, after listening to this conversation, the way technology is changing, holy moly, it's so fast. Just like medicine, everything's changing every single day. Science is changing every single day. There are new discoveries every single day. And I wonder I wonder how this conversation will mature or how it will be perceived in five years and 10 years and 15 years with the advancement of technologies. Because we're talking about data, 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 right? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with all this data? Are they collected? Uh, are the uh, data collected the same way? Can you compare apples to apples or can you do apples to orange comparisons? And then how can we work around it? Are we going to use artificial intelligence to work around it? What are the pros and cons of doing something like that? Um, I'm very curious, maybe uh, your listeners, Marco, can put in the chat, in the comments section to this podcast where they see the future. But when it comes to healthcare, health data collection, regardless of the species we're talking about and the environment that influences the health of whatever species we're talking about. I wonder who in technology can help protect the environment in which we all live. So I'm posing that question out to your audience, Marco. And it's, well, a, great, right. it's a great question. It is a great question. Yeah, I think nobody has an answer or, I mean, I, I'm going to say nobody has a certain answer. But, you know, that's why when we talk about AI, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that there is more positive than negative. I don't think is the end of the humanity, as a lot of news are putting out there. But if we want to aggregate all this data and really understand what is going on, that's, that's going to help. And I think uh, Maurice and Ellison, they wanted to make a point about the, the, the climate change, uh, which would probably be a topic for the future. But... Talking about that data, I'm going to just say again what I said before, but also referring to the role that maybe this conversation may have. And I want to connect it to maybe Deborah when we had a, a couple of podcasts together. One was about science communications and how important it is how to translate an important topic into uh, something understandable depending if you're talking to a kid or you're talking to the politicians or you're talking to another expert and so on. That's that's the book. Mm -hmm. The importance of communicating all of this. And I'm hoping that with 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 the three of us, the four the, the four of us, because I see three images here, and the guests that we will bring, we will be able to translate this conversation into something understandable. And, and again, I think that even understanding that there will be no more excuses is going to be fundamental. Like non-knowing is not going to save us from diseases, from disparities, from divergence, from even, you know, issues with democracy that we need to 
we need to be aware. Uh, ignorance is not is not a justification for this. Um, Maurice, sorry, I interrupted you to say this. No, you didn't interrupt me at all. Uh, and and by the way, for your audience, Deborah's book is spectacular for for teaching people to communicate about science. Uh, it is not just an art, uh, but she brings she brings an explanation very that is very useful there. And science is science. People have to just accept that certain things are facts, not opinions. And I think she, I think that's an important communication skill that more of us need to learn. Uh, but to your point, Marco, about th certain inevitabilities, 100-year pandemics are an inevitability. Yes, it was 1918, 1718, and the second one didn't come along until 1919 to 23, but it was, almost, it was 101 years, uh, start to start point. Uh, there are certain inevitabilities. There are cycles to the planet. There are cycles to animal diseases. The question becomes, how are these things made worse by the interaction with humans, by our care or our lack of care for the environment, for the animals in our care, for each other. Uh, you know, the British Antarctic study has 2.7 million years worth of historical data by going to ice cores. They drill down, they take a big chunk of ice, and this is a job I could never have. I do not have the detail for this. They measure it millimeter by millimeter and analyze every millimeter to see what happened to the climate during those periods of time. And what did we learn? We learned that the earth warms every five to 9,000 years. And then on the opposite cycle, every five to 9,000 years, we have an ice age. Okay? On the warming side, when you look at the middle, we spend about 100 years going up only three degrees Fahrenheit. This is why scientists are so concerned with the fact that in under 20 years, we've gone up 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit average global temperature. Because when you hit that three degrees, suddenly we go up another 20 in under 50 years. Now think about that for a minute. That's a total of 23 degrees average temperature increase. We've spent the last few months complaining worldwide about ground surface temperatures of 120 degrees in Spain, daily average temperatures over 110 degrees in Phoenix, Arizona, wildfires everywhere, floods, and that's with only one and a half degrees. Now, the human body can function for a fairly extended time with enough, with enough hydration in a dry, and that, by the way, those aren't feel-like temperatures, in a dry, what's called a dry bulb temperature, the temperature before you add in the feel-like part, of up to about 125 degrees continuously. Reality is, is that we know Bedouins and others, they can do, with enough acclimation, you can get to about 130, 135. The problem is at 140, the metabolic processes of the human organs cease. Okay, we're at 110 plus, plus 20 more. Average is 130. Air conditioning works by taking the heat out of the inside of the building and putting it outside. So if the outside is getting to 140, 150 degrees, the inside isn't going to get to a nice, comfortable 78 that we all love. That's an impossibility. We have to now use technology and science to figure out how is the human species within the next 150 years because of the earth, not because of anything, any arguments about 
global warming due to human intervention, the earth is going to go through this cycle over the next 150 to 200 years. It's going to enter that cycle. And if we don't figure this out, work together, understand the interconnectedness of a one world, this will be an extinction level event for humans. And yes, Marco, AI might be part of finding that answer, but it's also going to involve a seed change in how we view our connection to our planet, to our animals, to our, to our food chain, and to each other. Well said, Maurice. I second that, Marco. I think that the whole point of this One Connected World series that we're doing is not just you know, talking about the challenges that we all know that we're dealing with, but we're, we're working on the solutions. So let's have future conversations and talk about practical solutions and who should be involved in creating a fair and just planet for future generations and even us in our older ages. <laughs> so looking forward to future conversations, Marco, and great to see you, Maurice and Allison. Great to see you, Deborah. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, uh, first of all, I have to say, Alison, when you were making that metaphor about the the web, the interconnection, you make me think. During another uh, prior episode, you talked about the petals and and there was a flowers metaphor there. You're really good in making it really clear and visual <laughs> to the people. So I'm expecting many many more of those because again, we we need to break it down because. We need everybody to understand. It's. I think this is the problem: is that a lot of people they just say there is going to be someone that will take care of that. That's not going to be me, right? It's going to be somebody at the government, somebody at higher level, the big companies. But you know, we're all in this together. Again, we're all connected, and and you know, there is a reason why you know democracy is a, is a good thing. But if we all vote. So I'm getting a little political here, but if we don't vote, we don't have anything to say. If we don't participate in this conversation, we're not going to change things. And again, I was looking forward to make very, uh, very simple point out of very complicated topics. And I, I'm sure that with your help, we're going to be able to do that. And uh, we'll make a list of uh, topics that we want to cover. We will have those conversations, drill deep into those with, uh, with, I'm sure, really interesting and fascinating guests that we will bring to, to the table and join the panel with us. So, um, Deborah, you already said goodbye in, in a way, but you can do it again. Uh, Alisa Maurice, uh, a couple of minutes for you to, to say goodbye to the audience and, uh, and, um, and inviting everybody to listen next time. Well, it certainly was a pleasure, Marco, Deborah, and Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you all for, for, for being here. Thank all the listeners for, for being there as well. We look forward to your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your input, and, and, and your ideas, and how maybe you view things as a one connected world. There are so many different ways to think about it, to explain about it. But it all begins with the same thing. It all begins with the word one. Love it. 
but instead we're gonna have many not just one this is this was the first one of many other episodes and uh, we want to invite everybody to subscribe to the channel and yes as deborah uh, maurice and allison said leave your comment if you're interested in something i'm sure we can talk about it if we don't we'll find somebody that knows about that topic we want to have an interaction with all of you so thank you for your time for today we'll find the next one and uh that's it thank you everybody devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises the devo data analytics platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation learn more at devo.com BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society, hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.